2: $25 each.
1: Visit concert concertweek to buy
0: now. That's concert concertweek to buy now. When you think about the
1: future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all.
2: Join Graham Class as he hosts season two of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming Welcome back to the show. Fellow conspiracy realist, this classic is uh, rounding out our weekend of classics today. And <laughs> we were going through our files and our archives, and we wanted to find something a little bit holiday-esque. You know, we had a couple choices. The Origins of Christmas, that's still a banger. But we we landed on this one when a lot of people think of Um, Christmas, the Christmas holiday, they also think of, you know, angels we have heard while high, or excuse me, angels we have heard on high. There we go. Potato, potato, my
0: friend. No, it's true. And the idea of the voice of an angel, right? That's a concept usually referring to someone who can sing beautifully. But sometimes the voice of an angel might liquefy your insides with its sheer velocity and power. Have you guys seen The O.A.? That's a show about, like, angels and their powers. Really interesting stuff. Uh, And not at all what people maybe always associate with these beautiful winged creatures.
1: That's one of the things in the Bible, right? If you get too close to God or if you actually heard God, you know, or or his messengers, you're probably going to die. Or it's not
2: going to go well for you, at least. So... This is some weird stuff. And we are going to meet good friend of the show, John D. In his explorate. Yeah, it's true. We text in his explorations of what is called the Anakian language. Let's jump in. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul. Mission Control, Deck, and Most importantly, you are you. You are here. That makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Longtime listeners, you'll you'll note that recently we have been exploring some things that are more of the modern world, corporate cover-ups. Uh, Ongoing investigations into hidden burial places and things of that nature, uh, many of which do point to genuine conspiracies, not conspiracy theories, but genuine conspiracies. Today, we are delving into something a little bit different. We're delving into a realm of spirituality, a realm of allegedly magic and uh, the area wherein science, magic and linguistics are said to convert. Let's start with angels. Today, angels, at least in the Western world, have a pretty solidified image. You know, most most people in the West— If you ask them just immediately to describe what an angel looks like, uh, unless they've done some further reading, they're going to picture a humanoid being probably in a flowing robe or maybe nude but androgynous and shining brightly. There's Uh, a lot of white involved. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A pair of large feathered wings, maybe multiple pairs sprouting from the back. And sometimes the angel will also have a a halo or a harp, a halo being a, a circle of light, sometimes depicted uh, as a, a band of some shiny golden metal above their head. Uh, this, of course, does not match one-to-one with many biblical descriptions of angels, which um, this, this is something you'll appreciate, Matt, uh, from the X-Files. There is a fantastic depiction of an angel in an episode on the Nephilim. Do you remember that one with the sickly children?
1: Yeah, I've oh man, it's tough. A little hazy for me, mm. but that sounds familiar. Are the were the sickly children the Nephilim? Or yes, they were like children, or they were actually Nephilim. They spoiler were, alert.
2: Yeah, they were actually Nephilim, and they had these uh, mysterious genetic disorders. But yeah. they were being murdered uh, one by one by a. Divine agent, which was an angel, and toward the very end—spoiler alert! Here's your chance to turn back now. Three, two, one. Spoilers. The toward the end of the episode, where you actually see this creature attacking someone, its faces shift because in some biblical descriptions of angels, they have multiple faces, and of course, there are many, many different types of angels depending on which civilization or culture you are investigating. Man, I was certain you were going to say it was the chupacabra all along. There is a chupacabra episode of X Files, and I believe in that episode, three, two, one, spoilers. <laughs> it is a uh, it is a fungal agent, an infection creates oh. chupacabra. I believe someone that that may be a different show, but there's so many X Files episodes.
0: I have to say, Nephilim sounds like a great name for a metal band. It doesn't already exist, and the sickly children. Great name for an album by said metal
1: band. I
2: yeah, believe Nephilim that, is a band, yeah. Yes.
1: Oh, really? Okay, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, I believe that episode of Exiles we are referencing was called All Souls. And yes. And yes, I do remember that episode.
2: And they're not – as good as the writers of Exiles are at this time, they are not making this up out of whole cloth as the idiom goes. Instead, they are cribbing from beliefs of ancient civilizations, far older – by the way, than the religions of the book, far older than Islam, Judaism, or Christianity. In fact, most ancient civilizations in the world believed in this concept of angels or something very much like them, Benevolent spirits representing a more powerful deity. So they were almost like minor deities. They could do little miracles. They were not as powerful as God or not as powerful as whatever the supreme uh, you know, final boss deity was in a belief system. But they had a heck of a lot more uh, agency and power than mortals. Well, maybe agency is a tough word there. Yeah. There's a huge argument about angels and free will that uh, dates back to the beginning of a lot of myths. So it's important to note here that not all angels are necessarily good. We're going to bust an angel stereotype today. We'll get to that later on in today's episode. Here's This is fascinating. So while the belief in angels or something like these benevolent uh, intercessing spirits may be ancient – it persists in the modern day, and the statistics may surprise some of us listening. According to a 2011 poll that was published uh, by CBS, 77% of adults in the United States believe angels are real. This is usually, of course, tied to religion. 88% of people identifying as Christian, and 95% of people identifying as evangelical Christians along with 94% of people who attend weekly religious services of some sort say yes they believe in angels. I'm going to pause here because that's a that's a tricky question. That statistic is worth challenging because it all depends upon how the question is asked. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you simply say Hey, do you – if you're catching people right outside of a church service as they're on their way out and they say, do you believe in angels? It's safe to say just based on how human psychology works, they're very mu- – they're much more likely to say yes.
1: There's, all, there's social pressure in that environment if you did it that way. That's true. agree and say, uh, yes, yes, of course I do.
0: And there so often seems to be such an all-or-nothing approach to mm. that flavor of religion. Sorry, flavor is a weird choice of words, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like it, do, it certainly feels like people would be encouraged to not just take the bits they like, but you have to believe in all of the, the lore and every part of what's in the Bible as being the truth.
2: Or at least say you do because let's not forget there's a lot of cherry picking um, from various religions. I mean tale as old as time, but one of my favorite examples is uh, th- this author who wrote a book called Living Biblically. Have you guys heard of this book?
0: I have not. Oh, wait. Is this the one where he lives according to – Leviticus? The teachings of the Bible for a period of time and like wears his beard long and all of that stuff. Uh, What's the guy's
2: name? uh, A.J. Jacobs. A.J. Jacobs. He was on
0: Part-Time Genius talking about
2: this. The Year of Living Biblically, uh, one man's humble quest to follow the Bible as literally as possible. He runs into a lot of stuff that was treated with great import you know, but is generally not followed – in today's modern age, by most people who would consider themselves practitioners of the of Christianity or practitioners of a faith of the uh, book of the Abrahamic variety, he uh, he ran into one of the ones that was the most surprising to me uh, was when he ran into the ban against wearing two different types of fabric. Yeah, that was a big deal. You were not supposed to do that, and so. Often, even people who feel that they are following the letter and the spirit of the law as determined by these religious works, they'll skip some stuff. You know what I mean? They'll have some they'll have some polyester, they'll have some nylon or whatever the band fabrics are. But— You got to do what you got to do, man. You got to do what you got to do. Uh, but it may well surprise a lot of people to find that, at least according to this study, uh, the belief in angels is so uh, prevalent, even— in this increasingly secular world. So we have to ask ourselves, what is it about angels that so captures human imagination even now in 2019? And to answer that question, we have to continue – maybe busting myths is is not a good choice of words here. But we we have to continue clarifying what angels were historically and how they became – and um, so closely associated with that cultural icon of the, the flowing robes and the harp and the halo, which, again, just it reminds me of how Coca-Cola managed to codify the appearance of Santa Claus. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's a true story. But, but here are the facts. So, yeah, first off, where does the name Angel come from? Well the word itself is derived from
0: the Greek word angelos which means messenger. Uh malak the Hebrew word for angel also means messenger and both words uh quite neatly fit in with the Persian word for angel which is angaros uh similarly
2: meaning a courier. Mm-hmm. So this so we know now that all of the earlier uses of of this uh concept meant someone who brings a message, right? Yeah, it's not servant or child or,
1: you know, any of these other things that you kind of sometimes are ascribed to angels like the children of God in some way, Mm -hmm. the offspring of God, the servants of God. No, these are messengers
2: of God. Mm Mm-hmm and the various similarities between these preceding words and phrases has led some researchers to speculate that the earliest form of what we would call angel comes from Mycenaean linear B script akero and this leads us to one of the most important crucial things we have to establish here if we haven't if we haven't clearly said it already the belief in angels or beings like them is in no way restricted to the abrahamic religions we just tend to hear about this viewpoint at least uh the four of us matt noel paul myself because we live in the united states we are in and of the western world which means that most people are going to share e- even if even if they do not ascribe to a specific Um, Abramaic religion, they're going to share that cultural view of what an angel is, you know, but this, um, this is not a purely Christian, Judaic, or Muslim thing. The ancient religion of Zoroastrianism has beings very, very similar to angels, and Zoroastrianism is its own fascinating religion that we could do a do a different episode on. We really should because I want to dive deeper into that. Mm-hmm. It's the source of the name Mazda in cars, actually. That's wonderful. It's it's <laughs> fascinating for sure. In Abrahamic religions, angels are often depicted as these benevolent celestial beings. And they're intermediaries between we mudwalkers and God. Uh, and... This makes sense, right? Because as you said earlier, Nolan, they're primarily depicted as messengers, but they have other roles too. They do other stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. Sometimes they'll pop down to protect someone, maybe impregnate someone. I mean, uh, uh, that was God, right? That was an, an angel or a dude. They also will smite people. Oh, yeah, Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> the archangels will come down and, and take you out if you're doing the wrong thing. But see, it's so, it's so interesting with some of the tales and uh, philosophies behind intervention between heaven and earth and all of these things. Uh, ah, I love these topics so much. But yeah, um, so they'll protect you. They'll smite you. They might impregnate you. Um, but they're what? Th- that's about it? they'll do little tasks sometimes.
2: Right, task is assigned by God. So that could be anything from conveying a message to perhaps delivering someone from peril, right? They pray to God and God sends someone. It's interesting because in some of the earlier appearances in the Old Testament, for instance, God is a, is a hands-on manager. God shows up and specifically talks to people. God will uh, God will directly intervene and As the story continues, God seems to be increasingly communicating through intermediaries. In the Christian faith, it's through Jesus Christ, for instance, right? And the,
1: yeah, the priest if it's Catholic.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, spot on. And so what we see is that The concept of what an angel is and what an angel does evolved along with the commonly agreed upon understanding of the nature of God. And within these Abrahamic religions, angels are organized into hierarchies. This happens in other religions too, but the specifics of the hierarchy may differ across various belief systems. And that leads us to angels today, right? So fast forward thousands of years of history – we did a very quick and dirty summary of it.
1: Yeah, the Angels got in the outfield. The mm-hmm. Angels uh, went on the airwaves, we said. Yeah, that was, you know, Tom DeLong's Angels. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the Angels definitely. Did other things. They
2: show up in the Twilight Zone. There's a lovely, inept guardian angel attempting to earn its wings. Aw, that's a really sweet episode. That's one Mm. of the
1: not
0: depressing Twilight Zones. And
2: that's one of the – I think that's one of the only recurrent characters in the Twilight Zone universe other than, you know, my boy Rod Serling. You know
0: what I think of when I think of angels What's uh, as far as a depiction is uh, the depiction of angels in Dogma by Kevin Smith where they had no <laughs> genitals.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Angels have been depicted as androgynous beings in yeah. time, which is strange because it doesn't really jibe with some of the ancient angel stories, which we'll, we'll get to, right? Uh, and for the true believers, angels in the modern day largely function as they did in the ancient past. More directly, they're bringing messages from a deity and accomplishing earthly tasks for that power, perhaps specifically focusing on one person, the belief in a, a guardian angel that looks after you as an individual and your individual soul is still very much in play in the world today. And this leads us to another question. Which is a question we do not mean in an offensive way at all. Your personal beliefs are your own. It's a question the world has still grappled with, which is this. Where is the proof? We have have compelling evidence that uh, more than half, well more than half of uh, people in the United States— Claim to believe in some sort of thing like this, but at this point, there has been no confirmed discovery of any physical leaving that would inarguably indicate the presence of something matching the various descriptions. Of an angel. There have been many alleged relics, right? There are not only um, depictions in art, but also feathers or ectoplasm that purportedly manifested during a divine sighting, interaction, and, and situation, for lack of a better phrase. And the overwhelming mass of what people interpret as proof of angels up to this point has unfortunately been based on anecdotes, personal belief, and faith. Again, this is not to deride anybody who believes in these entities, nor is it meant to dismiss your personal views. It's, it's best to call it unfortunate simply because without physical, verifiable evidence, most people who do not believe in these sorts of creatures will never see a reason to change their minds otherwise. They'll say, oh, you have a story, right, where let's say you had a near-death experience, and you spoke with something that you perceived to be an angel that told you you still had work to do, and then you woke up in the hospital, right, miraculously recovering. You had been dead for anywhere from 2 to 13 minutes or something like that. Your heart wasn't beating. That's that's a very common story. As a matter of fact, I would be surprised if some of us listening today have not had a near-death experience or know someone who has. However, that story is not going to convince someone who says – You know, maybe they say I'm an atheist or maybe they say I'm a spiritual person but I don't believe in this kind of stuff. I think it's tradition. I think it's more folklore than fact. Unless there were some sort of physical evidence because you see there may be one more piece of proof, something that true believers feel is all too often ignored. What if in a way – the things people call angels have left a trace on the waking world. And what if it wasn't, um, you know, bones hollowed out uh, somewhere between bird bones and human bones? What if it wasn't a, a mass of feathers uh, secreted away in some reliquary? Right? What if it wasn't ectoplasm in a hundreds-year-old vial?
0: What if it was something a little more sophisticated,
1: like a language? Oh, <sighs> Okay, I'm in. You're it, in. Let's learn about You're it back. Let's learn about it after a quick break from oh. from this because we're going to hear from our sponsor.
3: So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert snagajob.com where America goes to hire.
4: This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu
2: And we're back. It appears that we have not been smited yet. So, here's where it gets crazy. Language A language of angels. The concept of angelic script sounds pretty bizarre at first blush, right? But for centuries, people have treated this concept with solemnity and seriousness. It is called Enochian script after the biblical character Enoch. And it all originates, I mean, at least on this earthly plane, with a guy named John D. D D-E-E. He'll be familiar to some of us and to others. It might just be a vague name. So who is this guy? And he was real. Familiar to some from our alchemy episode.
1: Yes, that's correct. So, Mr. John D., Uh, He is welcomed into this world way back in 1527 in London. He was an English mathematician and a natural philosopher, which at the time is, I guess, as close as you could get to being a scientist or what would become scientists. Mm -hmm. Um, And the predecessor, really. He was also a student of the occult, as we mentioned, as you might imagine, knowing that he's involved in alchemy at some point in his life. But this dude was... Uh, I don't know how to put it. He was crazy educated.
2: Yes. (laughs) Oh, man. At a time when very few people went to school and illiteracy was rampant because, you know, honestly, many people would live their lives uh, from cradle to grave without really needing to know how to read. Uh, he entered St. John's College, Cambridge, in 1542. Uh, he got a bachelor's degree there and then a master's degree. He became a fellow of Trinity College, Cambridge, when it was founded in 1546. This guy's old school and influential. Then he traveled to Europe, or as they would say in British parlance, to the continent. And in 1547, he made a short visit. Then he stayed from 48 to 1551. Studying under mathematician cartographers, people like Pedro Nunes, uh, Gemma Frisius, Abraham Ortelius, and Mercator of the Mercator projection. Oh, yeah, that's that one. And uh, he also did self directed study in Paris, a few other places that have been lost to history. He started turning down opportunities. Uh, The University of Paris offered him a professorship in mathematics in 1551. And then University of Oxford offered him essentially the same thing in 1554. But he said, no, 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 no. I don't want to be an academic uh, locked in some ivory tower. I have higher aims. I have political aims. Yeah, I want to be a part of
1: not royalty necessarily – but I want to be a part of the people that actually make the decisions. Well, I'm going to parlay this big noggin of mine into some power.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I he, could see him as both a a protagonist and a, an antagonist in some movie where he's the extremely intelligent uh, guy on the side like the Jafar. Yeah, sort of the, a Jafar type <laughs> figure or a Rasputin type figure. But or, yeah, but he seems to be like f- at least well-intentioned to our uh, –
2: to our knowledge. And he was a huge icon fairly early on in the pop culture of the time. Uh the character Prospero in The Tempest is based on him. Oh it's it's like "quote unquote widely thought to be the case." Got you. It's true. It's based on him. One guy's opinion, that's just my opinion, but the evidence is there. So, yeah, so he decides that he's going to join the the court. He's going to work in service of the English crown. This plan is successful. He returns to England and he becomes a member of the court because he offers to teach mathematics to courtiers and to navigators and eventually he becomes a consultant and astrologer to Queen Mary I. Uh, And this is at this level of political power. This is similar to um, being both on the cabinet of the president and the astrologer, kind of like how Ronald Reagan had an astrologer. That's true. You can look it up. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's that's cool
2: it's true this this is his dream job right this is what he wanted it landed him in jail in 1555 uh, he was charged with being a conjurer as yeah uh, it happens they let him out a little later but it, but it is on the books so this is the first time he gets a criminal record
1: I wonder what he conjured to get that sentence or was accused of conjuring I didn't I didn't see that anywhere maybe it was just a tiny little imp that he was gonna have assist him in his work <laughs> wait what what a conjuring? Homunculus, a con- yeah, conjuring a small homunculus. A yeah. oh, well, Homunculus. Yeah, uh, and, and, I love uh, that uh, word. Uh, by well, the way. You know, whatever. Maybe it was just a small black cat. Is a homunculus conjured. like
0: inherently have a hunch? Doesn't doesn't a homunculus have a hunch? It doesn't have to. Doesn't have to have. What is, what is it? What is it? What is
2: a homunculus then? It is a. It is almost like a familiar, depending on the stories, but it's it's created life made by an alchemist, usually with some combination of a bodily fluid like blood, semen, or urine, uh, certain types of uh, incantations, certain types of mud and herbs. So it, could it be a mud person or like a rock creature of some kind, given life?
1: It's closer to a golem.
0: Ah, you guys. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not trying to mess with you. I've always heard that term and I've always associated it with like an Igor or like some sort of grotesque, you know, disfigured um, sidekick.
2: They are usually they are usually supposed to be um, – I don't know. When they're depicted, they're, they're typically going to be depicted as deformed in some way or imperfect because only in, – in this environment, only God can create a truly perfect being, right? So I have a, uh, I have a recipe to build a homunculus uh, attributed to Paracelsus uh, from his book De Naturna Rerum in 1537 if you want to hear it.
0: Can we yeah, yeah, yeah. can we try it right now?
2: Um, Probably it, don't have the materials. Well, we do, but it's not safe for work. That's fair. Thank you. Yeah, let's just let's give it up. Let's just hear it. That the sperm of a man be putrefied by itself in a sealed cucurbit for forty days, and the highest degree of putrefaction in a horse's womb, or at least so long that it comes to life and moves itself, and stirs, which is easily observed, after this time it will look somewhat like a man, but transparent without a body. If, after this, it be fed wisely with the arcanum of human blood, and be nourished for up to forty weeks, and be kept in the even heat of the horse's womb, a living child Grows therefrom with all its members like another child, which is born of a woman, but much smaller.
0: I have questions. <laughs> I, I, I would imagine so. Does this <laughs> involve having sex with a horse? No. Wait, but it says the sperm has to putrefy in the horse's
2: womb. That's right, but it doesn't say anything about the horse being alive. Oh. So does this have? Does this involve what? having sex with a dead horse? I don't it's, think it has to, but that's really you know this is the wild west of alchemy at this point, man. Uh, that, that's really if that's how you want to attempt your homoculus, well, then just don't tell me about it.
0: I also heard I also heard an alternative. The horse was just an option, right? You said you could also do it and age it. I, I, when I hear putrefy, I'm hearing like ferment, right? Is that was that that which how you would maybe interpret that word? Aging the the sperm. You could do it in
2: some kind of stone vessel. I feel like for for this guy. <laughs> In the natura rerum, the the horse's womb is the key. Tantamount. Yeah. Yeah. Well. There
1: was a YouTube series of homunculi uh, where this one dude was attempting to make homunculus or homunculi. And I'm pretty sure it it must have been fake because of the, the nasty puppetry that I believe he was doing was just disgusting to look at. And the processes that he was describing, and all this stuff it was back in the day, and I couldn't find it just now, trying to look it up. but does anyone else recall seeing that in searching the, on YouTube perhaps of a guy
2: trying to make homunculi? I've seen some stuff like it, and I was I was inclined to believe it was a bit or performance art, okay, but I didn't, you know I don't know, man, sometimes it can be tough to tell. When people are being sincere on the Internet, and when they're having a go, when they're having a laugh
1: It was, oh no, I found it. It was a Russian YouTuber. I can't find the original one.
2: Mhm It's a bunch of re-uploads.
1: It's a Russian gentleman.
2: Well, sir, if you are listening, we hope you are doing well, and we look forward to hearing uh, how your experiments have worked
0: out. And just a little plug: our buddies uh, Joe and Robert over at Stuff to Blow Your Mind have a whole episode on how to make a homunculus. Oh no! And other horrors. Oh no!
2: Oh horrors! I feel like that's a that's a little bit uh, Is that
0: editorializing.
2: Yeah, uh, but so anyway, how about this John yeah, D. guy? Yes, so <laughs> he also had this interest in the occult. Clearly, he's an astrologer. This is the time when natural philosophy uh, represents both a mixture of what we would recognize as science today and what we would recognize as magic or the belief in such. He published something called the Monas Hieroglyphica, the hieroglyphic monad in 1564, and he made it through a secession of power when Elizabeth I ascended to the throne in 1558 – He became one of her scientific and medical advisors and then he was bawling so hard that sometime (laughs) during the mid-1560s, he built his own laboratory in Mortlake, which was an area near London. He amassed the largest private library in the country. He had over 4,000 books and manuscripts. This is in the 1560s. You know how long it took to make a book in the 1500s? And just to
1: get that many books from all across the
2: world probably? Mm -hmm. And he – continued, let's look at his scientific pursuits. So he worked extensively with cartographers, navigators, people that he considered intellectual peers, or even people that he thought were just asking interesting questions. Because he was a one-man library, he would loan out these books. He would have people over to read his books and his works. He published widely across various disciplines. uh, Stuff like uh, the, the banger hit, general and rare memorials pertaining to the Perfect Art of Navigation in 1577. Uh, and then he published stuff like An Aphoristic Introduction, His Views on Natural Philosophy and Astrology in 1558.
1: And this is pretty cool. He actually edited the first version uh, of Euclid's Elements into English, which is was extremely helpful. Uh, thank you for doing that to all people that came after you, John D. That was in 1570. And he also had this this, I mean, we kind of talked about it already, but he was so into the occult. And I think it's because it's that thing that we discuss on this show all the time, that line, right, between magic and science. And he's already kind of writing that line a little bit throughout his, his uh, spiritual pursuits as well as his scientific uh, pursuits. And he just thought the occult was the coolest thing. And it grew and grew and grew his interest in this. And um, that thing that we talked about, the hieroglyphic monad that Mm -hmm. we um, just mentioned up top, because in that he proposed this single mathematical symbol, a a magical symbol that was the key to unlocking basically everything. It was like the the one solution to the unity of all things in nature
2: yeah the, as above, above so, so below. below yeah he it's it's true and it, it's strange because his interest in the occult seems to grow in step with his frustration at scientific pursuit, he felt that there was a veil uh, between him and, and the true nature of reality. And it's so interesting to me how in these
0: days that whole pursuit of scientific um, knowledge was very much intertwined in general, More, more, much more so than today when the world seems so separate, man of science, man of God and all that. And a lot of the things that he that, – you know, we look at as being um, mystical sort of or a little bit more occult – Kind of got broken off the whole idea of the monad and all that into philosophy. So that's it's almost like create birthed a whole nother pursuit, kind of, if you mm. think I don't
2: know, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. The same way that alchemy led to chemistry, right? This is so far, let's call him the daytime John D, right? All right. He's got he's brilliant, he's got an eccentric interest in the occult. But how far mm. did it go? What does he have to do with angels? Let's get to them after a word from our sponsor.
3: So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert snagajob.com where america goes to hire
4: this is it your moment this is your time to make your comeback with purdue global when you come back with a purdue global degree you create opportunity for yourself your family and your future it's a degree you can be proud of a degree that employers will trust and respect
2: So, here we have John D. He's in the halls of power. He is considered a world-class authority on all manner of scientific pursuits and disciplines and uh, exercises in philosophy. He's also an unhappy dude. He's getting increasingly frustrated because he wants to build a comprehensive understanding of the natural world. And so, in let's say maybe desperation or just in in the next step of his continuing quest, he began seeking supernatural or divine assistance. He attempted to speak with angels. In the 1500s, by the way, uh, you ran a, a severely high risk of death or dismemberment by saying that you didn't believe in angels. So anyone who doesn't, count yourself lucky today, right? In 1581, specifically, he began performing a long series of magical research projects. Earlier that year, when he was around 54, he had written in his journal that God had sent, quote, good angels to communicate directly with human beings. And so he had set himself up to make contact with these angels. But he had a problem, you see. He was not a medium. He had attempted to scry and— found that he had no ability to see the other side or interact with it. Scrying is the act of um, a meditative or divinatory act wherein you might stare into a crystal ball, for instance, or in some cultures, an obsidian mirror or a, a container of water. Yeah.
1: I always thought is when you look at the top card of your library and you decide to put it either on the back on the top or on the bottom of your library. But oh, I yeah. don't know. that's that's, that's a, just what I thought. Scrying—that's a was. cool
2: move in Magic. Are you still playing
1: Magic? Huh? What? Love. I'm talking about scrying, bro.
2: Okay, like real Magic. <laughs> All right. Okay, that's right. Matt does scry with a deck of cards. Oh, let me look at this. Uh, what is that? Uh, terror. Okay. Oh, I thought you were going to say seven of clubs, but that is not your card. So those are the kind of results that John D. was having. He just – he couldn't he couldn't divine this stuff and um, he was honest enough with himself. This is very important. He was honest enough with himself to say, well, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to delude myself. I am certain that this talent exists but I am likewise certain that either I ha- do not have it or I uh, don't have a strong enough capacity to learn it. So, eventually, he did find a medium, or at least he thought he did. He held numerous seances in England and other European countries across the continent in the company of his hired medium, a fellow named Edward Kelly, who we'll get to in a moment, but he's very important in this story. In his attempt to contact angels, Dee was seeking that universal language of creation— He thought it would bring about a pre-apocalyptic unity of humankind. He thought that everyone, despite their differences, knowing this language would discover some sort of um, tangible and supernatural and philosophical truth about the nature of the universe and earth and humanity's place in it and that this would Promote peace. This would stop pointless wars so on. Like that, somewhat utopian, right? I can totally see where he could
1: get that belief.
2: Mm-hmm. It's, it sounds
1: very similar to some of the stuff we've been discussing earlier with the the whole Watchmen Ozymandias thing. Like mm-hmm. if we all had that one connection for sure, for certain, that makes the world bigger than us, then maybe we would all get along.
2: Yeah, we have a we have a lot of um one stop shoppery. In 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 the story of human aims, right? The guy who who created Esperanto also thought that it would help end war. Yeah, because everyone would speak the same language. Yeah, Esperanto is a great language, by the way. Very I, few people speak it, but it's a great language.
1: I just remember re, like researching it back in the day for mm-hmm. the old website. And That's le- all I know.
2: And learning about William Shatner's yeah wonderful film.
1: Well, well, let's. Uh, so John D. He totally thinks this is going to happen, right? And yeah. and he goes to some pretty uh, extensive lengths to to try and make it happen, to to try and prove that it's true.
2: Yeah, they have. He and Edward Kelly have hundreds and hundreds of sessions from 1582 until 1587, and during these sessions, they come to believe that they are communicating regularly with actual angels. And they each have their role to play. They're, they're like a two-man band. So D will be the orator and the supplicant. So he will be asking these questions. He will ask them often by directing prayers to God and God's archangels. And then he would invoke them to manifest themselves in his scrying stone. For him, it was a black obsidian mirror. Oh, that's cool. I don't know if you guys have seen those in person, but they look really cool. I bet. It
0: kind of gives you like a sort of a... A blurred kind of reflection, right?
2: Black mirror esque. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And Kelly would act as the scryer. So, so D is invoking these powers and asking them things, and Kelly is watching for their reactions. He would see visions projected in this mirror and he would describe them to D, and then D would write them down. And everything picks up steam around the year 1582 or 1583. Yeah, that's when John
0: Dee and Edward Kelly claimed to have received communication directly from the angels um, who supposedly allegedly provided them with the foundations of this language, which can be used to communicate with the other side. Um, This angelic language had its own alphabet, syntax, grammar, all of which they wrote down in their journals. And they dubbed this new language Enochian, which of course sprang from Dee's um, idea that the biblical patriarch Enoch, sort of a Methuselah-esque figure in the Bible, was the last human to know
2: this language. Mm -hmm. And Dee in common conversation preferred to call this language angelical or the celestial speech. He also called it the first language of God Christ and particularly he was fond of calling it adamical. Like Adam Ickle because he claimed it was the language spoken by Adam, the biblical Adam in the Garden of Eden during the naming of all of God's creatures. Walk the earth, swim the sea, fly in the air. That's okay. that's an interesting
1: concept that Adam somehow spoke the same language as all of the angels.
2: Yeah. Well, what, what is he going to speak? Esperanto?
1: Well, you know, it's so, it makes so much sense though. Mm-hmm. If you're you're coming from heaven, where all the angels already exist, and you're going to bestow life upon this creature in this new world, in this mm-hmm. new place, yeah, you teach them the
2: language you know. The, wow, and it's interesting because for D at this time, this is not a, a a crazy assumption. This is barely an assumption. He had not conceived of a world in which people could exist without language. You know what I mean? Like at this time in the 1500s, there's not going to be an ar- anyone arguing for the slow evolution of primates, right, from an arboreal species to two-legged people walking and and working out or accelerating their differences through a series of um, a series of organized noises. What? <laughs>
1: what <are> you talking <laughs> about?
2: So, I mean, that's what I say is people were created according to the. Cr- the, the story that he had heard and that uh, people would literally be killed for disagreeing with, right, at this time. So, of course, there had to be some sort of speech. How else would one communicate? Yeah. Well, it
0: could be in the form of dance
2: like in the Netflix uh, show The
0: OA. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you guys remember that? <laughs> I do. That was the, like, the angel language only. I think there was an alphabet. There was some written versions of it in that show. Mm-hmm. But it was largely dem- uh, it was largely
1: communicated through these amazing dance moves. I watched that so long ago, although it wasn't that long ago. You remember the dancing, It feels though. like, yes, absolutely. It was
2: 2016.
1: Oh, it feels like a lifetime ago. I oh. feel like we're due for another season of that. I'm pretty sure it got greenlit.
2: Yeah, <laughs> they just had the one season so far. Uh, I think it did get renewed, but I don't know when it's going to come out. It would be nice because maybe they could answer even one of the questions <laughs> they posed in season one. But but at least Punisher 2 is out right now. Oh, Punisher so 2, good. yeah. Yes. I it's really apparently not that. doing very
1: well. Though. I don't care. It's so good. You like it? I
2: enjoy it. Okay. I feel like I get it, you know? He gets me. <laughs> so so uh, Punisher aside, these beings with whom Dee and Kelly were in communication told them that being able to speak this language, being able to speak this ancient pre-human Anakian tongue would unlock the doors to unlimited knowledge, wisdom, and power. So let's let's get away from those claims. Let's look at what, what it actually is. You can go online as you are listening to this episode, and you can scroll through different uh, analyses and interpretations of versions of this alphabet. It is composed of a 21-letter alphabet. It was written from right to left, unlike English. Uh, There are two different versions. The first is in a manuscript that Dee created called The First Five Books of the Mysteries. The second, uh, which is the more widely accepted version today, comes from a book called Liber Logeth, which is allegedly based on Kelly's original drawings. It's got 49 great letter tables or squares that are made up of 49 by 49 letters. And it's said to be the first corpus of text in this purportedly angelic language but the thing is dean kelly said the angels never translated the text in that book dang mm-hmm. however a year later there were some texts that emerged that did come with english translations and therefore we see this as providing the basis for Anakian vocabulary the texts have Poetic verses. There are forty-eight of them. D in his manuscripts calls them the angelic keys, and each key is assigned a specific function within this magical system. D, you see, was planning to use them to open the forty nine gates of wisdom or understanding represented <laughs> by the forty nine magic squares in, in this pre existing book. Oh my gosh. So that's the that's long and short, but surprise, it, it gets complicated.
1: I mean, just what am I doing with my life? If I if I can't have a goal like unlocking the forty nine the forty nine gates of wisdom, you just don't have magic squares. That's just so cool. Well, I isn't mean, it? If it, like if I go I'm, every day, I'm toiling in the basement Matt, somewhere
0: it's, it's really trying to important. unlock. It's really important not to compare yourselves to others. That's what social media is, <laughs> is causing us to do.
2: When I was in, um, when I was carted off to this smart kids camp in a different lifetime. One of the things that they made us swear to do, they were pretty lax on everything, but one of the things they made us do was swear not to leave a place they called the Magic Square. Mm. And one of the other kids that was there with me uh, was convinced that it was evidence of some sort of devious, arcane um, shenanigan. Whoa. I think it was just a name. Yeah, it wasn't salt
1: or anything, you're sure? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, unlocking the 49 Gates of Wisdom is like the best quest that you could ever find in a video game. That sounds incredible, but he, John D, was trying to do that IRL.
2: Yes, yeah, and that leads us to a question. Did he succeed? What a great question. Because of the loss of parts of his original manuscripts, there are— multiple at times conflicting interpretations regarding the meaning, validity, or authenticity of this language. Almost immediately after it was first published, the language was met with suspicion, skepticism, and uh, not a small dose of hostility because by the 16th and 17th centuries, this Anakin script was considered legitimate proof of communication with otherworldly or supernatural beings, not angels. However, demons. Yeah,
1: that makes so much sense to me. Just the idea that uh, a, a human could never reach the heights of the heaven to of heaven the heavens to communicate with God. But if you are attempting communication like that, a treacherous demon from down below is going to intercede and then give you lies, essentially
2: on purpose. The corruption. Yeah. Yep. To mislead you, right? To put you in rebellion against uh, the true powers that be. And the whole time you would think that you're in communication with angels. One of the supporting uh, platforms for that argument would be the idea that the devil and infernal forces typically uh, use deception and trickery, right? To lead mm-hmm. people away from the light. They also – The angels or supernatural entities that created this language or communicated in it were said to have discredited the existence of the Holy Ghost. These kind of claims, the the idea that you shouldn't pray to or through Jesus Christ or that the Holy Ghost doesn't exist, they directly attack the foundations of Christianity. And this caused people to conclude that the quote-unquote good angels that Dee and Kelly contacted were actually demons – demons in this sense could be a reference to fallen angels the formerly divine creatures that rebelled against god prompting a war in heaven and then were cast down into the pit or escaped to the earth or you know it could be a could be a reference to the wa- watchers yeah. that also occur in the book of enoch right the, yeah. the the angels that were supposed to keep an eye on mankind you know what i mean uh be babysitters more or less, but then lost their way, slept with yep. the daughters of men and created Nephilim.
0: Weren't those the big rock monsters from the Darren Aronofsky mm-hmm. Noah movie? Yes, they mm-hmm. were, yeah. I thought so. The
1: coolest part about that movie,
2: by the yeah. way. Oh, but, yeah. but,
0: but
1: very out of left field. It kind of <laughs> like threw me for a loop. Uh, hold on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, we were talking about skepticism at the time and everything. And, you know, I can hear... Some of you out there, um, I can hear the skepticism in my headphones from <laughs> you listening like? to it, it in the future. Me. I can just hear it. I'm, I'm listening to it. I can hear it. Because it's happening within me. Um, oh, yep. There it is again. Yeah, it's just kind of a general susurrus. Yep. Um, but, but I just, on, is that
2: in Nakia?
1: <laughs> I'm not sure what it was. Um, but it's... I guess it's just you you kind of have to put yourself in the in really in the mindset. And that's what we've been trying to do in building up to this, you know, where we are, giving you the history and the kind of the background of this stuff. You just have to put your mind yourself in the mindset of somebody in the 1500s that truly truly believes uh these things and this is your this is um the concrete upon, upon which your entire, you know, world is built.
2: So, just remember that and don't scoff at it. Yeah. Don't be – I mean, don't be dismissive. Look, there were people who lived, you know, 500 or 2,000-something years ago. Uh, nowadays, it's, it's alarmingly easy for people in the modern age to dismiss those folks and say, oh, that was, that was so uneducated or how could you believe this kind of thing? You know what I mean? But we are benefiting from centuries and millennia of uh, progress that none of us living had anything to do with. We are standing on the shoulders of giants and we are ourselves making assumptions that will look cartoonish yes. to people even 20 years from now.
1: And we say all of that <laughs> because it wasn't necessarily in any way the spiritual nature of the claims that were the things that seemed that, – that people were most skeptical of.
2: Yes. Okay, so – for the people who outright said this is Flynn Flammery, this is malarkey, this is Balderdash, there were two primary factors that indicated to them this whole thing was a fraud. First, Edward Kelly, who mentioned Edward Kelly, alchemist, self-described medium, partner in this exploration with John D. He had another life. Before his foray into the um, spiritual frontier, he was a known counterfeiter. He, Uh-oh. He had been arrested for forgery. He had been pilloried. He had been to the dogs and back. So that makes him, you know, a person of questionable character. Yeah. Secondly, the prophecies mentioned in the Enochian communications don't actually come true, uh, even re- relatively mundane and specific ones. Like there was a claim that D would one day be tried for treason. He was not. So maybe they're misreading the timeline. Maybe it's a syntax error in translation.
1: But still, if you're not getting things right and you're working with somebody that already has a reputation, as a John D, you know, it really does kind of make you question why he's choosing to go this
2: route. True. That's a good point. But we can see how there was already a, a contingent of people that said, all right, everyone, I know this sounds really cool, but we have to check our sources, right? Let's go to the modern day. This language, this script is still around, and now our species has vastly more sophisticated uh, tools, techniques, and and a more profound understanding of how language in general is created, composed, and continues to evolve. We now have people who travel around the world just to find dying languages or just to find new languages that are are blossoming across the planet. So – For true believers in the modern day, this stuff is the real deal. Maybe not specifically angels. Maybe Dee and Kelly didn't know exactly what they were talking to, like those old warnings against Ouija boards. Yeah. But regardless – People who consider themselves practicing magicians will often say this is a proto-language, arguably one of the first languages, and as such, it has incredible mystical power. Speaking things like this, declaring them alters reality. Very, very, very potent stuff. But for linguists and for skeptics, the structure of the language just does not match up with what we know about every other human language. One of the primary critics of this is a guy from Australia. His name is Donald Lakuk, and he argues that the phonetic features of this language, Enochian or Adimical script, indicate that it was a form of glossolalia, which is speaking in tongues, which we have still somehow not done an episode about.
0: Which is fun because when you say glossolalia, it sounds like speaking in tongues. I in this picture, be like la 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 la
1: la 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah and that's totally what
0: they do right isn't that like made, making up a language like on the fly is b- kind of I believe at least one album had featured that heavily I thought that was their whole thing was they have a, a language that vaguely sounds Icelandic but it's actually kind of their own thing I, it's I, like I, a
2: haagen oh
1: good <laughs> lord that would that would blow my mind I thought it was just that one concept album that they did that
0: Maybe, maybe you might be right I'm not like a super fan I like their music but I, I always heard that that was a thing maybe maybe I was hearing that specifically about one one record
2: Let us know, folks, what language is Sigaro speaking? Save us the Google search. Uh, So he doesn't end there. Donald also argues that the syntax of Anakian is almost identical with that of English rather than Semitic languages like Arabic or Hebrew, which D claimed were direct degraded descendants of Anakian. And now most linguists are clearly going to agree that this is not the secret language of angels. But is it an actual language? If it was a fraudulent enterprise, was D complicit in the deception? Was he in on the joke? Was he an accomplice or a victim?
1: Yeah, and how much money did he make? Really, in the end, how much money do these guys make uh, talking about their angelic language? I'm interested. I'm gonna look it up, but I don't. I haven't seen an actual uh, any of the actual numbers there. And again, how much was like hidden if there if money was made? Mm. I in my for my money, I would say that just this is my opinion. D would probably believed it, just from what I know about him and what I've learned about him and how intelligent he was. Unless he was just trying to find, uh, you know, and quick fix for money but it doesn't seem like he would need that it seems like he truly believed it and maybe he got duped by kelly that's what it feels like
4: hmm. to me
2: yeah that's i i think that this is a viewpoint a lot of people would agree with matt because in his work on the subject donald lekach is clearly impressed by the consistency of the system of of the language Of the script at least, and he notes that it exhibits a deeper understanding of the Kabbalah specifically than he would assume someone like Edward Kelly possessed. But he still believes this is a fraud. He does not believe this is an otherworldly dictation or an exercise in automatic writing. He thinks that Kelly most likely engineered this in pursuit of a quick quid and that D was a sincere partner who was unaware of the deception. In his mind, Kelly was surreptitiously looking through the works of John Dee or his papers and cribbing that so that he could build something that looked convincing to someone who would have Dee's knowledge. And you can do that without understanding what you're mimicking, right?
1: That's a terrifying concept.
2: I mean, it happens. (laughs) I know. Uh, And – Donald also believes there's evidence that Kelly was working off of small notes in his sessions. It's, it's interesting. In, in Kelly's book on the subject, uh, you can see specific times wherein the communications with the angels became garbled. And eventually, Donald Laker con- uh, just concludes that Kelly literally got his notes in the wrong order. And that's why things didn't seem to make sense. Dude. Yeah. Moreover, he notes how the language—this is interesting—how it seems to evolve over a short period of time, from when they begin collecting the notes to when they're really hitting their stride. And in one passage, he specifically asks a, a a great question. Uh, it's this: We have a quotation. Can Kelly have got better
0: at producing what was required of him as time went on? Uh, he must have learned a great deal from living in close contact with D and D's credulity would blind him to slight internal contradictions.
2: Interesting. Right. So would he have been able to present D's knowledge back to him in a way that confirmed what D was already certain of? And if so, after D had entered the sunk cost fallacy of investing so much belief and time in this, would he have just maybe subconsciously ignored things that were clear contradictions. There are a couple times where D does note an inconsistency, but there are a lot of times where he lets stuff slide. So, at this point, this is where it leaves us. People who do not believe in the existence of supernatural beings, especially angels, probably will not see the Enochian language as any solid proof. There's not... We're, we're not really changing any minds here. Yeah, But people who do believe... In in this sort of stuff, in the existence of uh, angelic forces or even divine or infernal forces that are intangible and usually imperceivable to humans, uh, they probably won't see the indication of fraud in the Enochian language as an overall refutation of angels entire. I mean, it's kind of like saying that Australia doesn't exist because drop bears are not real. Are you saying drop bears aren't real? You're stating that saying it. Send me, send me some evidence.
1: I don't think anyone who's ever come across a drop bear has lived to tell the tale, so I
2: am holding off. Then how do we have stories about drop bears? Uh, Obsidian mirror? Okay. <laughs> well played. All right. <laughs> I'm back in. But it's true. One thing being false doesn't inv- invalidate everything associated with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of like it's kind of like saying, "Well, if Tuesday's real, why isn't it Tuesday now?" <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, that's not a very perfect. I just want to uh, have that's a, my best
1: comparison. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to have that kind of argument all day long. <laughs> if USB is the standard, then why isn't that USB? That's not the same <laughs> thing. That's no, not the same no, thing. No, that's
2: that's totally right. <sighs> yeah. You're good at this, Ben. Right. No, no, no. I'm just I I'm just some guy who doesn't speak Anakian. Not yet. Not yet. We want to hear from you, however. Thank you so much for checking out today's episode. Uh First things first, and this may be a personal question for some of us, do you feel that it is possible to communicate with things that are perhaps beyond the pale, um, something from another dimension, something from a higher plane of existence? Let's get Graham Hancock with it. Let's see what happens when you speak directly to your DNA on a DMT trip, right? Oh like, man, I, yeah, that sentence was great. I mean, that's that's not me. That's Graham Hancock. That's what he believes, the machine elves and stuff. Oh, sure, sure. But just to put those words right next to each other, it's just yeah. to get a nice ring to it. The DNA and the DMT. What, what uh do you think that this is a case of historical fraud? Do you think there's something else to the story? Um and if so, what? Or what are some other examples of strange Uh, languages that you have encountered you know we're fans of the Voynich manuscript over here which I think someone recently claimed to have decoded it again but that happens every few years. Right, mm-hmm. You can let us know about this through any number of ways. If you do not happen to have a black obsidian mirror with you at this time or if you feel your scrying skills are a bit rusty and don't want to be mistranslated, you can always contact us via the internet. We are on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Uh, talk to the best part of the show, your fellow listeners on our Facebook community page. Here's where it gets crazy. Uh, you can follow me directly on Instagram where I am at Ben Bull.
0: I am at Embryonic Insider. I am not available. You are so available. You've been there for (laughs) me and Ben for years now. You're the most emotionally available person I know, if not social medially available. I just like stalking you guys.
1: I saw that great picture from... The holiday party that we had, the like the super late January holiday party. Yeah, somebody negged me really hard on that because Ben said we uh, that look we really
0: do know how to clean up. And someone says, "I didn't know a jean jacket was cleaning up." Oh, I know, but the rest of me was cleaned up. But you that's know what? A nice jean jacket. You so. know what you're doing? What's that? You're doing the Feeding thing. Into you're doing
1: the thing the incels do, What's where that? you're just seeing that one negative. Thing it was, it was the thinking only thinking, comment the on it. it. was
0: the only comment on the no, picture. No,
1: there were a ton of comments on oh, really? the picture I saw. I must at have least. gotten to
0: it early.
2: It was very kind human beings. I think we looked good. The only thing that would have made that picture better is if our mysterious and enigmatic super producer Paul Mission Control Deccan would have deigned to make an appearance.
1: Oh, no. He, we can't reveal – Paul Mission Control. <laughs> if he doesn't have that air of mystery about him, like what is this show? It's basically over for Pe- us. <laughs> People don't even understand how
0: his last name is spelled. I'm not gonna break that illusion either.
2: No, no, no. Omerta. Hey, just I know. gotta stop saying Omerta. <laughs> this is like the third episode in a row where I've just said that as a non sequitur. What were you gonna say? <laughs> nothing, nothing. I was just
1: going to say send me your thoughts through your Black Obsidian Mirror because now I'm thinking we need to install one here somewhere in the office Mm -hmm. where we can, I don't know, try and communicate or send things through. Ben doesn't have a smartphone. Ben exclusively communicates via Black
0: Obsidian Mirror.
1: Oh, my God. Look at your phones right now with that Black Mirror idea. I know we're joking, but just that concept of the Black Obsidian Mirror, I've never actually made that connection
2: before. Oh, nice. You're scrying. Oh God! Well, if you uh, speaking of phones, if you prefer to communicate to a phone, you can give us a call. We have our very own number. It is.
1: One eight three
2: three S T D W Y T K.
1: Yes, give us a call, leave us a message, and we'll see what happens from there. It's going to be cool, no matter what it is. By the way, by calling and leaving a message, you uh, give us permission to use your voice in the podcast.
2: <laughs> or, or this is a Facebook announcement for uh, twenty bucks or something extra. We'll wiretap your phone. No. Did you hear about this? What? Okay, I don't want to keep us going too long, but neither this is, does Paul. I can see I know, I know, there. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but this is important. This is important for anybody who is a teen or has a teenager uh, who is using Facebook. I think they cut it short because uh, lawmakers became furious with this. But Facebook was offering uh, teenagers uh, a nominal fee for complete access to everything they do on their phone. Whoa. It was a Facebook research product. Uh, they would have teenagers install a VPN that let the company see everything they did there. And this this story just broke as we were going into the uh, into the booth. Oh my god! So well, I'm gonna look at that now. Some of those kids are as young as 13.
1: And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode.